0: Welcome to the Practice Impossible Podcast with your host, Coach JPMD. That's me. And I want to first and foremost thank you for a great year this year, my second year uh, creating podcasts. Uh, We're over over 45 episodes recorded over the past year, year and a half now. So uh, I want to thank you and thank you for those that left reviews. If you haven't had a chance to leave a review or tell me what you think about the podcast, how it's impacting your life. It would really be helpful if you can do that now. And so, with this episode, we're going to we're going to do a year in review, but uh, we're going to pretty much call it like the cliff notes of 2022. And what I've done is compiled the uh, most downloaded episodes or the most impactful episodes over the past year, and those that uh, have uh, really given me feedback on um, how they appreciated what has been said, what's been discussed, and. So, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. If you haven't had a chance to, to uh, listen to the first and uh, last video podcast, I uh, encourage you to do so. Right now, it's exclusively on Spotify. And if you look at the, the list of all the podcasts, you'll find the episode of Dr. Singh, a great episode to watch and you know, take a look at the, the room. And, uh, you know, we, we enjoyed it so much that we're probably going to have more video episodes next time. A couple of you have mentioned that uh, you like the interviews, the podcast interviews that we've had over the past year. And so that's what I've done. I've compiled a lot of the reviews or the interviews with uh, guests. And in our first episode that we're going to review is, it was an episode on money and it was with my financial advisors. And it was a great episode. And what I learned was that my advisors had never met a generous person that was unhappy. And that that really took me by surprise because you you think, you don't always think of uh, happiness as related to generosity. And I want you to take a listen to episode number 22. And my advisors will help you understand the characteristics that they observed in highly successful clients. So here we go.
1: Well, as a kingdom advisor, part of our role or opportunity is to help people learn to Expand their level of generosity to make an impact not only in their families and their personal lives, but also in the community around them. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've never met an unhappy, generous person, right? And I think from that standpoint, there's opportunities to um, just uh, be more focused about what you're passionate about, what you might want to support or get behind. There has to be a heart connection there. And I would say that. A lot of people, their giving is kind of the last thing they think about. And maybe it's whatever is left over or it's not necessarily a priority. And I think the thing is, is that to have a more deliberate giving strategy, it's like part of any other strategy. It's really helpful and beneficial and it can help also your relationship with your spouse and your wife and you need to be on the same page with those type of things and some people are honestly more generous than others and so it's kind of like a muscle that has to be used and, mm-hmm. and exercised and so from that standpoint, we certainly like to help people kind of explore different ways to be generous. There's a lot of different tools out there doesn't mean you have to give away a bunch of money as much as you just start understanding the tools that are there, how to use them, and how to leverage what's available. And honestly, there can be some tax benefit as well. And so for high-income earners, that's one way to help, of many to help reduce or mitigate some of the tax side of it.
0: So you, you said something that's a huge nugget, and that was you have never met an unhappy, generous giver. Is that what you said? That's right. That's right. Tell me about those that you've seen or worked with that are not generous. How how do you, Hmm. how do you. um, By name? No, (laughs) no, not by name. Please don't get me in trouble. (laughs) So tell me about the most non-generous or ungenerous, ungenerous. I don't know if that's a word, but (laughs) a client that you've worked with.
2: We'll say uh, closed hands. Um, Closed hands client. Closed hands. Well, what would be your experience with them? I guess I get question. I would say that there's something going on there, and i I think as as advisors, you know it's it's up to us with our clients to draw out some of these other elements that are happening behind the scenes because I think someone who really struggles with generosity has some fear or some greed. Those are you know opposite sides of the same coin, right? And so, mm-hmm. We, we endeavor to, I think we aspire to be not only advisors who are talking about the allocation, the opportunities and the return, but also to help draw out some of these deeper concerns. And that comes mm-hmm. through some in-depth conversation. It's just not looking at the spreadsheets and the numbers. But why are, why are we fearful? And Jude, you know, we've had some conversations where we talk about history with finances personally, with investing or saving. And we talk about with spouses, you know, what's the husband's experience with an investing or saving, if any? And what is mm-hmm. the wife's experience with investing or saving, if any? And those life experiences with money as growing up even can really drive someone to be closed handed. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think when we experience someone who's hesitant to be generous, we have some work to do to help them understand the plan that they have and have some confidence in what they're doing, that they're going to be able to land the plane when they get to retirement. And there's so much fulfillment on the other side of that. If you're able to say, you know what, I'm going to make it. And because I'm going to make it, I can help Mm so-and-so, or I can, I, I can further this cause that I'm passionate about.
0: So that was pretty insightful. So check out episode 22 if you want to learn more about what uh, was said in that episode and how you really can build wealth during your career, because uh, that's that's what we want you to do. We want you to practice impossible. We want you to do things that are not routinely done in the the field of medicine and uh, teach you really the business of medicine and not only the business of practicing medicine, but also the business of taking care of your own personal life, building wealth and retiring early. So in episode number 25, I discussed the blue zones and the blue zone solutions is a book I read a couple years ago and I reread it. It was by Dan Buettner. And what he does is describes the characteristics of centenarians. And he traveled around the world and found that there are five different blue zones or hotbeds where people lived greater than a hundred or had an average, had the highest concentration of centenarians. And it was very insightful. I encourage you to read the book. If you haven't read the book, uh, listen to the episode to kind of hear what the the nine things and uh, nine characteristics of the Blue Zones are. And another thing that I, I said I was going to share, and I don't remember sharing it, but that was my vitality test results. And the Blue Zone Solutions and uh, their team came up with a vitality test that enables you to kind of predict what your what your life expectancy would be. And in the U.S., as we know, the life expectancy of a U.S. citizen is an abysmal 77 years old. I know it sounds, I shouldn't say abysmal, but but compared to the rest of the world, we rank 46 in the world in terms of life expectancy. So it was interesting based on my lifestyle, uh, based on what I've done in my eating habits over the past couple of years, my life expectancy is is, um, 89.2, which was pretty decent, I think. It's a little bit more than the average U.S. population. I think some of it is, of course, going to be genetic. My dad is actually 86. And aside from a recent health issue, he had never been in the hospital uh, over the, you know, the course of his 86 years. Uh, unfortunately, my mom passed away in 2009 and uh, she was 68, uh, but she had complications of a kidney transplant. So take the vitality test and share a result with us. Uh, we'd love to hear what your life expectancy is based on what you're doing in your lifestyle. So how could you get out of debt sooner than your colleagues? How can you retire early? Well, in episode 30, my CPA, Jolene Lowe's, describes the mindset of really successful physicians that are really practicing impossible. So if we uh, listen to her episode, she'll describe an OBGYN doc who was able to retire, I think, within 15 years of practicing. And it is possible with you. And we have solutions. We have resources that we can share with you. So uh, take a listen to this episode, or at least a snippet of this episode, and tell me what you think. So give me an example of a physician you feel, because we've kind of been kind of doom and gloom here with physicians. But give (laughs) give me an example of a physician that's just crushing it, that's just practicing impossible, that you said, wow, this guy is really doing well. I wish that all my clients were like this doctor. What would be the characteristics of that, that doctor?
3: I'm fortunate that I can say I have numerous physicians that fall into that category because I have beat into their heads that they have to do personal financial planning. They have to have a plan in place. One of my ones that maybe is, is one of my favorite because He was, he was one of my physicians. He was actually my OBGYN and he was with the first practice I worked with. And the, the partner in charge didn't want me to work with him because of the fact that he, he was my physician too. Mm -hmm. And the client came and said, if I can't work with Jolene, I'm not staying with the firm. And so the partner in charge came to me and I said, it doesn't bother me. And we put a plan in place for him. And he's been retired now 15 or 20 years. He regretfully had to retire. He hurt his back and didn't have the option to continue working. But because of all of the planning that he's done, literally he and his wife can do anything that they can Would consider wanting to do. And they will not run out of money before they leave the face of the earth and will be leaving their children and grandchildren a nice legacy, even though one of their children is a doctor out in California and he's doing very well on his own. And he's already started the saving philosophy. Mm -hmm. And their other son is in management, and actually works for Robert Half, who finds um, accountants to place in CPA firms. And he also has done really well in saving too. So he's one of my, he's my favorite success story. But I am fortunate that I have numerous other clients that fall in that category.
0: And so, with changing healthcare reform and and things changing with reimbursement and and doctors just getting into more debt coming out of residency and, and and medical school, where do you see healthcare going in the next twenty years?
3: Jude, you know that I'm fortunate that I've worked with a lot of physicians that do risk management, and so I was very fortunate that I had a client that. Got involved in that when I knew nothing at all about uh-huh. it, and at the time it was j s a who now has moved merged through different companies. but I literally spent hours at j s a s offices learning how to read the reports and what they meant and and what did my client need to do differently to not only be a physician but be a business person Mm -hmm. because regretfully you don't have time to take business classes when you're going through residency and, and getting your degrees. And most physicians that I see come out as physicians, but most of them come out as really bad business people and medicine. It didn't used to be that way. When I started practicing Almost any physician could make an extraordinarily good amount of monies in their practice. That's not the case in today's market. The physicians that I see that are going into practice now, they have to run their businesses like a business. They have to be aware of how they're practicing medicine and making sure that they're doing Making smart decisions in how they're running the book of business that they're responsible for.
0: So I have to say, a great accountant is what you really need to help accelerate your path to financial freedom. So Jolene has uh, offered her services or at least uh, consultation services for any physician listening to the Practice Impossible podcast. So uh, do contact her. Her website is www.clvalue.com. And of course, we'll have the resources at the end of this episode to help you learn how you can get out of debt quickly, retire early, and live a powerful life. So episode 31 describes what happened in my career, in my life, that uh, was a game changer. And that was getting a scribe. And not just any scribe, it was a virtual scribe. Um, and uh, I have a discussion with uh, Ashwin, who is the CEO of VP Scribes. And there are two things in my career and my practice that has been transformative. One is getting my medical assistant or my nurse to actually go over my notes with me, or my tasks or messages, that uh, we call them tasks in our office, but messages that patients leave and other details that need to be taken care of during the office that I can't take care of when I'm seeing patients. So those messages are taken, and then we go over those messages throughout the day, and those messages are responded usually by the end of the day, and that has transformed the way patients are able to leave messages and feel comfortable that they're going to get a response by the end of the day. The other one is, you know, getting a scribe, getting someone to help me with my uh, notes. As you know, and maybe don't know that Medicare requires that we have our notes completed and signed off within 72 hours. And when you're seeing 25, 30 patients a day, it's nearly impossible to do that and to have a, have a life outside of medicine. I know that uh, there are some physicians that actually take their notes home and uh, try to complete their notes at home, dictate or transcribe their notes, finish their templated notes. You know, it's, it's really difficult. And I think after, after you listen to this episode, you'll understand the importance of someone else helping you with your notes, someone else that you can delegate the, I feel, the most challenging part of the practice. And take a listen.
4: No, actually, I went to UT Austin. I, I went government route. I worked in parliament in London. So that was actually totally opposite to this. But, um, one day my dad came up to Austin for a meeting. Um, he's a physician in, um, South Texas internal medicine. And I think the, the scribing concept first got to him then four years ago. So I think it was still pretty big concept than in person scribing. And I know his documentation style is he takes everything home. He doesn't like to be in front of the computer in front of the patient. So usually he'll come home and have two to three hours of chart work. I used to be his typist too cuz he used to use chicken finger typing, one finger typing so he would dictate and I would go through some of his charts with him um, after school. But um pretty much that concept came to him and then we kind of thought through it. And another side piece of information, my sister actually went to medical school in India, um where most of my scribes are located. So she was during that time she was studying for her steps and it usually takes about a year for someone from a foreign medical graduate to study for step so she was kind of in this transitionary period so we thought that this would be kind of a good opportunity for people like that that want to learn about how um medicine is practiced here in the u.s and want to actually put some of their knowledge to to use and we kind of got that idea and then um i was on a plane to india two months later halfway through my semester went all online and um started it from there huh.
0: So, so you went to medical school in India? Is that what? what did you- well, no,
4: like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't go to medical school. My sister went to medical school. I'm surprised she was able to complete it. She's back now practicing. She actually got a nephrology fellowship um, recently. So she, nice. she did um, internal medicine as well. But um, I went to India, and uh, I thought I was the first person with this idea. Oh, we can get doctors, nurses, or people to do virtual scribing work. And I put out an ad and little did I know there was already companies doing this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a great story. So your father, so did he also, was he in part of starting this company or was De- he?
4: Definitely. He was a guinea pig um, to say the least. Um, I didn't have very good software in the very beginning, actually. Like right now I'm using Zoom to connect all the scribes with um, their providers they have a great HIPAA compliance license. So everything is very secure and encrypted. But back then, I didn't know about that. So we were testing different softwares and Mm -hmm. it was very cumbersome. Every time he would go to the exam room, he would have to log into something. So it definitely took a lot of iterations. But finally, I think we've kind of perfected that workflow. And it's been a great use to him. So he's actually had his scribe. She was like, actually, maybe like our fourth or fifth employee. And It's uh, one person he can't let go of. Um, He can't practice without her. And we've had other scribes try and he just gets upset.
0: So as you grow your practice, this scribe service may not be uh, something for you, but I strongly recommend that you find that happy number of patients that you see or the revenue that that you're generating in your practice, because once you employ a scribe to help you with your notes, I guarantee that you're going to be able to see more patients, which will in turn mean an increase in revenue. And it also decreases your stress because you don't have to worry about your notes because most of it will be done for you by the end of the day. Another thing that I discovered that has helped me decrease my stress and actually improve my sleeping habits is grounding. And I know a lot of physicians may not understand this because we didn't actually learn this in medical school, nor do we feel like there's science behind this. But I suggest that you do the research and uh, listen to this episode with an open mind, episode 34 and 35, where we interview uh, Clint Ober, who's a pioneer in the work of grounding and earthing. And it's just interesting to hear a different perspective, a non-physician perspective who describes things that are so basic that we sometimes take it for granted. And you might ask, what is earthing? What is grounding? Well, grounding is basically the act of putting your foot on the ground without shoes. And the science behind that is that um, you're able to de- discharge the positive ions in your body that you're being exposed to on a daily basis to Mother Earth. Just like any electrical equipment can be grounded, just like the equipment I have in this office is grounded, we have uh, grounded equipment that helps decrease interference, we're electrical beings. And you have to ask yourself, well, how are we grounding ourselves? And what are people doing in other parts of the world that actually have been shown to actually decrease inflammation, improve sleep habits, uh, decrease cortisol levels? So interesting stuff take a listen to episode 34 and 35, but uh, I'll give you a little snippet of the conversation starting right now. I know this is a podcast for physicians, and now we're talking about grounding electrical devices. What does that have to do with us? What does it have to do with humans?
5: Okay. Well, first of all, the earth is maintains a slight Negative charge, and the word negative means, in this case, means no charge, but it means an abundance of free electrons that can move rapidly and reduce charge. Like reduce, you know, lightning is a mm-hmm. reduction of charge, or static electricity. If you anything, anytime you ground anything, what you're doing is you're connecting it to the mm-hmm. earth so that the the electrical surface charge of the earth migrates up the wire. And then it grounds the chassis of a refrigerator or a computer or anything in order to prevent the possibility of an electrical event where somebody might get hurt. Because if it's at earth potential, then it'll just blow a fuse. Okay. If there's a problem in a refrigerator or something. So, But anyhow, the human body, again, you got to use cowboy (laughs) logic here.
0: Oh, and and, and sorry to interrupt, but you're a wise cowboy. Because at the beginning you said, you know, you you may need some direction. We we like to hear wise counsel at Practice Impossible because you know we are younger physicians, and you know sometimes we think we know everything. But I think our wiser counterparts probably know more than we do.
5: Well, it's you know uh, what age brings to the table is experience and it's not that you know exactly what to do but you know what not to do <laughs> more than anything yeah. and then you're only left with those few things that seem seem yeah. to work yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but it, but anyhow the human body is conductive mm-hmm. it's electrical first chemical second because you have to move some electrons in order for you know chemical changes or just anything goes on in the body so you have to think about the body being electrical first and then, then you have to go back and think like, well, before 1960, we were mostly barefoot. I was as a kid. And we wore shoes to go to school or events, and they were leather. And if they got wet, the the water would, when they dried, they would ruin them. So you had to, if it was wet outdoors, raining, he took his shoes off and carried them. Or you had those dorky old galoshes. <laughs> Uh, but anyhow, the, the point was before 1960, we were primarily barefoot. Okay. So when a human being stands on the earth, because it's conductive, it conducts earth's negative charge. The body's an electrical conductor. Mm-hmm. So, so it's negative. And there's only one thing the ground does is it reduces charge. <laughs> uh, we don't know that it does anything else, but it does maintain electrical stability. In the in an uh, uh, electrical, like a computer mm-hmm. or an internal, the internal workings of anything electrical. Well, <clears throat> human body is the most electrical thing on the planet. There is nothing more electrical. Every cell, every every thought, everything, everything is you know, frequencies and, and electrons and protons and you know everything from metabolism to atp you name it it's all electron based the electron transport yep. chain everything yep.
0: we do we do ekgs okay. we do electrocardiograms we do yep. electroencephalograms yep. Uh, those things are are exactly. conductive so it's
5: all yep. electro so anyhow uh, there's more to the story but <laughs> sure. uh, in short i just one day accidentally was messing around and i had a computer that crashed kept crashing and it was back in the 90s. So you get static electricity on your body and you touch an Apple computer or one of those that weren't grounded, and the the computer would glitch up. Then you'd have to shut it down, bring it back up, and then continue on for mm-hmm. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got really tired of that day. So I took a piece of metal copper tape, laid it across my desk, connected it with an alligator clip and a wire to an electrical ground. So then I would touch the the ground strip before I would touch the computer got rid of my problem. So, so let's 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 dive into that because
0: you said you connected a copper wire onto your computer and you connected. It
5: It was tape. I just laid it down to the. I just laid it down on the desk in front of. The computer. On, so and where was, so was that? Where was it connected to? Well, I connected it with a wire to the electrical ground. You know, the little third.
0: Ah, hole so you actually did electrical. it in the third hole. So, so, some of the yeah. people in the audience may not know what that is. So, where does that third hole go? What What is that? You mean third well, hole in the socket it, in the in the?
5: Yeah, in, in all electrical sockets have a ground, and uh, any home be you know probably after 1970, they all have a ground wire in the walls. So that little hole is connected to a ground wire that goes throughout the house, and then it's connected to a ground rod that is driven into the earth. So it has nothing to do with the. Current electricity it has everything to do with uh, bringing the electrical potential of the earth to that point or to anything that's has a ground pin on it uh, in order to maintain it at earth yeah. potential, safe earth yeah. potential. So that's just part of the conversation.
0: So, you know, Clint is, is really an awesome guy and uh, I met him online and we had some conversations prior to uh, me interviewing him and I invite you to try it. And that's all I can say. Just try it and see if it makes a difference for you. I know it it made a difference for me. So while you're grounding, think about uh, a recurring theme that we've had uh, on our uh, podcast. And that is, so many of my guests on the Practice Impossible podcast have talked about getting the right mentor and uh, finding someone that can help you with the practice of medicine, with the business of medicine. My good friend, Brunel Joseph, was not the first. We had a great conversation. Listen to what he says is the one thing that he would tell young physicians out there. So what's the one thing you would tell a younger physician, such that by doing
6: that one thing, it would make their lives much easier? Oh, I would say being open to learn, right? Being open to learn and not just, and we both know, we don't get trained in medical school for any of this, in terms of the financial side, the payers, out of training, I did not know the difference between fee for service and managed care. I heard about it and I wanted to acquire more. Mm-hmm. I wanted to learn and I felt like this is, this was the way of the future. So I was willing to do that. Just like I said, some outside of, if even other physicians who mm-hmm. don't know about managed care look at it a certain way, outside of people coming out of training sometimes and I've been, some of them are not even willing to learn because they, they've heard. That managed, same things about managed care. So I, I think what I would, I would say is to be open to learning, uh, about different payers, open to learning about different insurances. Obviously open to learning more about medicine because obviously you have so much more to learn yeah. once you finish training. Those are the really, the things I would maybe get a mentor that, that's something I've, I thought about I should have done early. Mm-hmm. Get a mentor because sometimes a lot of us are in our own little bubble. You don't know what the next primary care guy is doing. If there are certain questions you don't want to ask, you know how, you know how yeah, it is yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of it's a competitive uh, landscape. I mean, yes. if you ask this question or if you know what this guy is
0: doing, he's going to take patients away from you. And, right. and there's so many patients out there. There's so much you don't need to think that way, but
6: those are great points, man. Yeah. But even financially, so you, that's a big taboo also within. Our field, you can't talk finances. That's <laughs> yeah, that's a no and, no
0: and one. that's one of the biggest things we should be talking about. <laughs> yeah, because we're coming out of debt. And I, I saw on a I was on a Facebook group, a physician community Facebook group, and one of the questions from a physician, and I guess this is public knowledge because it's on Facebook, so I can say it. But he had three kids, and he just came out of residency, making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and they're living in a two thousand square foot home. They have debt. They owe people money and he wants to buy a house. Should he buy a house? And <laughs> I know, you know, the answer to this. Yes. <laughs> the answer is no, exactly. <laughs> no, no. But you know, the old me 20 years ago would have said, Oh yeah, yeah," but you're making enough money and yeah, you should, you know, get out of the rent. No, no, no pay off your debt. So there you have it. That's uh, Dr. Joseph's words of wisdom. And he's a great guy. He's uh Done tremendously well in, in the practice in Tampa. He took over my Tampa office several years ago, and really proud of what he's done and how he's grown as a physician. And uh, he's a great example of what we can do when we work together to to achieve a, a common goal, and that is to, to care, take care of our patients and and grow a great practice. And the last episode that we're going to review is uh, episode forty five. This one, this one was an interesting one. So the physician super athlete is something that Dr. Singh coined in this, in this episode. And I've never heard him say this before, how we are healers. We are powerful individuals that can care for patients, heal patients, counsel patients and help them live long. One of the most powerful things that I got out of this episode was how we can squash burnout in the medical profession. So let's listen to this and we'll chat about it
7: and I take inspiration from some of the greatest healers in human history, you know, Christ himself was a healer. Right? So we we exalt him, he was a healer at multiple levels, but he was a healer even at the physical level, right? So, and every great teacher is a healer in some way or the other. We are mini healers, (laughs) but as doctors, we are athletes. Yeah, and
0: and um, you know when you when you bring in Christ into in the forefront, uh, you know you're saying exactly what I think He has told us. And there's two things He tells us to do: is to love Him, love God, and love everyone else. We're not even loving our own colleagues. No, we're not. We're bad mouthing our
7: colleagues. Yes, that's exactly. What.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're Just... we're we're disparaging them. We're competing with them. Yes. We're not loving. And that, I think, for me, is what I try to teach my kids. I try
7: to teach them love and respect. That's where burnout happens. That's the secret of burnout. Love. Yes. That's the secret of fear, secret of anger, secret of all negativity. If you can get rid of the negativity, you realize what you do, you can never have a burnout. How can you have a burnout? So there you have
0: it. What's the one thing you can we can do to help decrease physician burnout? It's love. Love, obviously love God first, and then you love others. But part of that love is loving your fellow colleagues, your your fellow classmates, your fellow residency training grads, because I think love conquers all. Love squashes fear. Love invites us to care for each other. And so I think he makes a good point. If we love each other, like God calls us to love each other, then we would not, or at least burnout would be very minimal in our profession. I'd love to hear what you think about that, because I don't know any other other action that would transcend our ability to care for ourselves and our patients better than to love each other like he commands us to love. I hope that these clips inspire you to listen to more episodes with the right people on your side. You can practice impossible. So my ask for you is to share this episode with your friends. Leave me a review because that's going to help me understand what you want to hear more about. I'm going to also set up a website so that you can sign up for updates so that you know when things are back up and running again. You can visit www.coachjpmd.com slash next season. And maybe I'll even put up a survey. Let me know what you want to hear more of. And uh, season one, as you know, is all about uh, Medicare Advantage and how we can help our populations live long. Season two is going to be about the business of medicine, but maybe a different type of uh, medical practice. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and thank you for listening and thank you for continuing to support the Practice Impossible podcast.